0: 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 13, going through verse 17. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. As I began studying through these words some weeks back, my thoughts... Concerning this verse 15, the preparation of a defense for the hope that I have within me. Centered on who this defense was all about, and that's the Lord Jesus. And that was rightfully so, because Jesus truly is the substance and the foundation of my faith and my hope. He is the one through His shed blood on that cross has saved me to the uttermost. He is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And it's by the ongoing presence of His Spirit within me that I can have comfort knowing that nothing can ever separate me from the love of God. So then Christ is ever and always to be at the center of my hope, of your hope. It's also to know that hope itself is such a precious gift from Christ. Such a precious gift. So very, very crucial to our daily existence. Because without hope, we can quickly get lost in discouragement and, and despair. And as I mentioned a moment ago, I want us to take a few moments and give some additional consideration to this whole mystical concept of hope. And I know that we have done this in recent weeks, but I feel the need for us to do it again. And I want to begin this consideration of hope uh, by asking just the simple question, what is hope? What is hope? Do we understand the concept of biblical hope? And how did you and I come to have such a precious and helpful and needful Response within us. And I want to begin by reminding us that hope really is not that secular understanding of hope, that vague and ambiguous concept that most people reduce it down to be. As I observe most all the people that I encounter each day, believers and unbelievers alike, Let me emphasize that. Believers and unbelievers alike, when they express this matter of hope in their circumstances, their focus too often seems to be on this belief that some uncertain random occurrence will take place that will bring them the desired result that they're hoping for. How do I know that's taking place? It's part of the way that they say it. The way that they present their hope. That it's some uncertain random occurrence. Brought to mind a bingo player who watches those numbered balls floating around in the bingo dispenser hoping that some random occurrence will take place causing the ball that they need to suddenly come up through that chute and give them a win? Why did I come up with that thought? I've done that. I haven't played bingo in many, many years, but I can recall having a card that was filled except for one number. And over and over again, I would watch that dispenser as the balls would float around inside it. And here I am hoping that the right one will come up through it and will be called... I can't recall my thoughts at the moment, but I believe it was no better than what I'm talking about here, that I was depending on some random occurrence to take place within that dispenser. Just here recently, perhaps two weeks ago, there was this giant Powerball lottery that got a lot of advertising. People rushing out in droves to buy just one more ticket, hoping against hope that perhaps it will be that one more ticket that will be the number, have the number that will get them hundreds of millions of dollars. But often the hope that we express is more casual than that. We say things like, I sure do hope my boss will be kind to me today. I hope my paycheck will last until the end of the month. I hope that my boyfriend will not cheat on me. And on and on. These random wishes. I want us this morning to take a moment and consider those kinds of uses of this word hope and to question what are we doing with that kind of thinking if we let ourselves get caught up in it. Are we implying that we believe that all of the matters of daily life are like those bingo balls? That with just one random poof of air will suddenly change the circumstances in that dispenser and things will turn out better for us? Are we implying that we believe that most everything that's taking place around us each day is a result of a series of those random occurrences all somehow working together to produce that next thing that will take place. That life is just a collection of those random occurrences. And if we are lucky, it's another word that's used often that I'm not able to define. But if we are lucky with the way in which those random occurrences fall together, we'll succeed or win or some other good thing. Think about that for a moment. If we allow ourselves to drift off into that kind of rationale, where does that leave the involvement of the hand of God? If all of life is simply a series of random occurrences, then you and I need not be sitting here in this church today. We're wasting our time. Now, we might try to add God into that situation and say, well, maybe if I prayed hard enough, God would make that bingo ball come up through that chute. No, that's not the way it is. That's not normally the way God works. So where then, if we are going to, again, we will say we don't really believe that life is just a series of random occurrences, but if we live that way, then what's the difference? And I do fear that we do. And the question is, are we by our casual handling of this concept of hope actually pushing aside, denying, even forgetting, most of the time, the ever-present, ever-loving, ever-working hand of God? Are we by our behavior casually pushing aside and denying that God is sovereign? Are we denying that He lovingly and providentially involves Himself in all these ordinary matters of our daily lives? Are we by our behavior believing that God keeps Himself instead separated and distant from our ordinary activities of our day. I mean, perhaps only gets involved in the big matters of our day. May I say that whether we really mean to do that or not, that is exactly what we do most of the time. And we prove it by our behavior. We are reducing God and His handling, His sustaining that we read about in Hebrews chapter 1 earlier today. We're reducing His involvement in all that's going on on this earth down to nothing more than a casual, over-the-shoulder glance to just double-check to see if we're okay. Otherwise, the rest of the matters of our day are like those bingo balls. All of life is just floating around in this big dispenser without purpose, bumping into each other, everyone and everything in it, randomly popping out Helping or hurting, depending on who's wanting what. May I say to us that that kind of casual treatment, and I want us to understand that it is a very casual treatment, and it's of our Almighty God, the Lord Jesus. It's an insult to His holiness. Perhaps that's the reason why God began this verse 15 with the words, "...but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy." May I instead suggest again for us some Scriptures that says that God's involvement with us is very different than it being this casual treatment that we apply to it. Psalm 139, verse 1, O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down, and you're acquainted with all of my ways in between. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your Spirit? For where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand will hold me fast. Folks, These words should be humbling to us as we consider them. To find that God is not only immediately and intimately involved in all the matters of our day, in my hopes, in my desires, in my wishes, He is also thinking ahead. And He's making plans for needs yet unknown to me. And not only that, He is intimately involved in the very thoughts that we think, inside of our minds, unspoken thoughts, he knows what you and I are thinking right at this moment. And at every moment. And then note these words here in Psalm 139 verse 5. He says, He hems me in behind and before and He lays His hand upon me. This is God putting boundaries, hedges about me, hedges about you, laying His hand upon you, keeping you in these boundaries of protection. Folks, listen, that's not casual. That is intimate, loving, guiding, and protective care. Every moment. And if we will only believe that these words given here are real, then all those good things that just seem to happen to us, all that good luck that we seem to have, it will take on a whole new meaning. And we'll know that they're not just random occurrences. Good luck taking place in our lives. But they are really God's own hand at work, making provision for us. And why so many people insist on going ahead and living as if these moments are not guided? That these moment-by-moment happenings of our life are just random occurrences, I'll never know. I confess to you that I am far too insecure. I am far more comfortable trusting that I have a loving Father who is at every moment knowing my hopes and my needs and inserting His big hand into my circumstances than I would be depending on some random occurrence to make provision for me. I need His hand. I need Thee every hour the song goes. Every moment of every hour. So then, may I convince you and me from these words of truth that our hope must never depend upon random occurrences... And we should not, we must not allow ourselves to even drift into that kind of a casual statement. We need to stop what we're saying once we hear it coming out of our mouth. We need to understand that there is a sovereign God that's at work all the time. Yes, He'll let us take steps that we shouldn't take. That's what free will is all about. But let us do what we were singing in the song. If we can at the same time rest in Him then His hand will guide us. As the verse there in Psalm 139 says, your right hand will hold me fast. We need not be like that disobedient child that's pulling away from His hand. But let His hand, His right hand, hold us fast. Let's go ahead though and continue on with the Scripture that we're working with today. Let me reread our verses for today. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good. This is verse 13 of of our text of 1 Peter 3. Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile you, revile your good behavior in Christ, may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now again, at the heart of this passage is the instruction that we must stand ready... And be prepared to make a defense for the reason for the hope that we have within us. This hope that we've been speaking about here this morning. And may I say that this readiness, this readiness that he's talking about here, this preparedness is not just the memorization of some scriptures and then a practice presentation of what we have learned. It is that, yes. And that is so vitally important. But we must also know that the validity of that defense that we are making, that we are giving to that person, it begins in other ways. Sometimes long before we're called to actually voice that defense. In particular, our defense begins with our character. The character that is shown to all of those people around us. Because if that character is not in the right condition, then the question may never come to us. Our character must be able to match up to our words or else our argument for Christ will lose all of its power. If the evidence of our character, our testimony can be brought into question, then also, and this is a great responsibility, if our character, our testimony can be brought into question, then also the validity of of these Scriptures, of the defense that we will make of these Scriptures will also be called into question. So then, our testimony, beginning with the silent witness of our behavior and conduct and character that is first observable before it's spoken, it's essential to the defense of this hope that we have within us. How does that work? How does that work in the ordinary Matters of life. I looked through the Scriptures, and especially in the Gospels, and this word hypocrite kept coming up. It's mentioned all throughout the Gospels, especially regarding the behavior and the character of the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus said of them that they were whitewashed tombs, looking so very good on the outside while being so very rotted from within. Now, unfortunately for the average hypocrite. He's often the only one who cannot see his own failures. Everyone around him can clearly see the ambiguities and the inconsistencies taking place, but not the hypocrite himself. That's because there's a very special kind of blindness that afflicts a hypocrite. And folks, such hypocrisy can reveal itself in so many different ways. But is especially revealed in the manner in which we handle these truths of God. Our saying that we believe one thing, that we believe in this intimate involvement of Christ, but then the next statement that comes out of our our mouths, we're acting as if life is just a combination of occurrences. Saying we believe one thing, but when then we, we live and we act and we we talk and we walk just a whole other path. And that there doesn't have to be a drastic difference between the two. Just enough off-center to reveal to those who observe us that we really don't believe what we've been saying to them. And again, such things can especially be seen in this handling or or mishandling of the Lordship of Christ. Do we say out loud that we really do believe the words that we've been saying here this morning, but then live a whole other way? Folks, other people, especially those that look up to us for guidance and leadership, they can see far deeper into our behavior and our character than we think they're able to do. We have to be careful of that. Because it's then that our defense of the hope that we have within us will begin to be called into question. And those that we are really wanting to minister to, they get discouraged and they turn away. Because they know they can see that it's not matching up. Or perhaps a worse thing may take place. They might decide to actually follow the path that we're on. And woe be unto them and to us if that takes place. Because then it will be, as Jesus said, one blind person leading another. And that's such a recipe for serious failure. One final point before we end this study for today. The need for our personal testimony our character, our behavior, to always be guarded carefully as we make our defense of this hope that we have within us. When we face opposition, strong testing, that's when we can have difficulty. And and God is making that reference here in this verse 13. Listen here, He says, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for doing that which is good? So He's saying to us, you are going to come under attack. This thing that you say you believe, this thing that you've been doing as you've done your, your prayer time and your Bible study at home, and you step out the door and it gets called into question. He says, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But then listen, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Other places in Scripture say that righteous will often suffer affliction. But he says here, yes you will, but you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, he says, nor be troubled. But in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. Again, verse 13 is warning us. That under yes, under most normal circumstances, we will not be attacked for our faith. But sometimes we will. And when we are, then you and I need not fear. We need to keep on walking the path that we know is right and not be troubled. And he says in verses 16 and 17, Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, when someone gets in your face and reviles your good behavior that you'll not be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that be God's will, than for doing evil. And please note the implication there in verse 17. It is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will. You and I can suffer for doing good. But it will also, also be God's will. He will not keep us from being tested and going through those afflictions. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. And he didn't say to Peter, but I've stepped in and protected you from it. No. He said, but I have prayed that your faith will not fail, that you're going to have to suffer that affliction. But I'm praying for you and I'm interceding, and therefore your faith will not fail. I'm the one that can make sure that happens, but you are going to have to go through the affliction. So it's God's will perhaps often, that we might suffer for doing good. Now, we may not understand it when it takes place or expect it, but it's going to take place. But notice here what he says, our response must always be to those who are reviling us, slandering us, must be with gentleness and respect at every turn. And he's saying to us, be prepared. Because just as our hope is not founded on random occurrences taking place, our defense must not be based on a random statement that we might say in defense. But you and I need to be prepared and ready to present the right thing at the right time. So then, as we close, i want to give us these reminders. Our daily witness, your daily witness, my daily witness, our behavior... Our daily testimony that others are watching that we don't even know they're watching. Those people in the factory next to you or in the school next to you or in your workplace next to you. Our testimony will be the groundwork that will either help or hurt the defense that He's talking about here of the hope that we have within us. So you and I must guard our daily testimony well. Else, all that we do and say will be called into question. So we must guard our testimony carefully and we must present our defense with all gentleness and respect. It's easy to return evil for evil. But he says, no, don't do that. Always be gentle and respectful because our listener's eternity may depend upon our doing that thing well that's in front of us. So finally, if we're called to suffer then... Also, as we present this defense, then so be it. We accept the suffering that comes to us. And He says to do that. And we'll be blessed. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may themselves be put to shame. Let's pray.